Nutrition Reviews, Conversations with the Authors, published by Oxford University Press. Today I have the pleasure of speaking with Elska Vandenberg and Marjolein Schoenecker from the Department of Public Health and Primary Care at Leiden University in the Netherlands. They conducted a systematic review with their co-authors on the metabolic impact of intermittent energy restriction and periodic fasting in patients with type 2 diabetes. I found this paper to be highly relevant as intermittent fasting is becoming a popular dietary trend given recent research in this area and the prevalence of type 2 diabetes is increasing in the world. Uh, the review includes 13 studies, which uh, may not be that many, but given how intermittent fasting is a relatively new topic, it was good to read how it is being applied with different nutrition-related diseases. Even though there has not been that many studies on periodic fasting and type 2 diabetes, on metabolic outcomes, and not just weight loss, their results suggest that intermittent fasting can be helpful in the short term with regards to improving measures of glucose control and potentially decreasing medical costs. Elska and Marceline, welcome to Nutrition Reviews Conversations with the Authors. And let's just start out by having you tell us a little bit about yourselves and how you got interested in nutrition and your focus on diabetes. So Elska, why don't we start with you? Yes, uh, thank you, uh, Douglas, for inviting us. Um, well, um, I am a general practitioner in uh, training in Leiden, uh, in the Netherlands, and um, I'm combining my uh, training to become a general practitioner with a PhD trajectory, which is titled The Clinical Feasibility and Efficacy of the Intermittent Use of a Fasting Mimicking Diet in Treatment uh, of Type 2 Diabetes. And actually, already in medical school, I noticed um, that my interests were more in uh, chronic diseases, for example, type 2 diabetes, but also uh, hypertensive diseases or uh, problems of the elderly. And um, I noticed also my interest in the lifestyle aspects and how much they can influence uh, yeah, uh, uh, chronic diseases and uh, quality of life. And that is actually how I came, uh, yeah, how I, how I came interested in this topic. Oh, very good. Um, it's good to see clinicians uh, moving into looking at nutrition too. I like that combination. Uh, Marceline, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I um, I follow the same trajectory as uh, Elspeth, so I'm also becoming a PhD. Uh, uh, sorry, I'm also becoming a general practitioner, so I'm following the traineeship and I combine this with the PhD trajectory. Uh, and we did uh, the same uh, PhD trajectory about the same subject. So uh, we know uh, a bit about nutritional science. And the reason I found it interesting is because um, I also have a biomedical background, biomedical sciences, and uh, always fascinated by physiology and pathophysiology. And most or many chronic diseases uh, costing a lot for our society these days. Uh, its main core is uh, nutrition or lifestyle, uh, which has run bad. So I think uh, uh, using nutrition or lifestyle as a therapy is really the core of curing these diseases. So therefore, uh, I chose this uh, path together with Oscar. Well, 
I am interested in this uh, in a different perspective. You both are medical you know, training. I want to ask about how much nutrition you get in your medical training, not in your PhD training, but in actually the medical training. In the United States, we are very much um, deficient in how much nutrition we provide our medical students. And I say that even though I'm in the School of Medicine. But so uh, I'm interested in as a little side discussion, I guess, um, can you tell us a little bit about what happens in medical school in the Netherlands related to nutrition? Yeah, well, I went to medical school in Maastricht at Maastricht University. Oh. And I think we actually had maybe only one lecture in six years about uh, uh, nutrition and uh, its impact. Um, but I believe that the last few years there are more yeah, like uh, students relate. Yeah, students. Um, how do you say it? Like programs that students pick up themselves and invite lecturers because yeah, it, it's gaining momentum. I think uh, a lot of interest is going into lifestyle and physical activity and nutrition. Last few yeah, last couple of years. Mm -hmm. But when I was in medical school, it was very limited. I don't know how it was in Leiden, Marjolein. Yeah, Leiden. I think I have the same experience. It was really. Uh really not a topic that was mentioned a lot. I think in a few courses, there was some sidesteps to how nutrition could affect some diseases, but it was really little. So, um, but as the same goes in Leiden, that there are um, more and more programs within several courses that are looking at lifestyle and uh, as the cause of disease and uh, uh, also, uh, for preventive measures, I think it's gaining uh, attention, but um, perhaps not enough yet. Well, um, it's interesting to know that this is um, not unique to the United States then. Um, I want to get back to the paper. And um, Why did you choose this topic? Why did you look at intermittent fasting and diabetes together and maybe not another disease or another type of diet? Any, what was the momentum that got you to think about this? Um, yeah, well, at the start of my uh, PhD uh, trajectory, um, we started coordinating the fasting and diabetes treatment trial. And um, it, it's a fasting mimicking diet um, for patients with type 2 diabetes. Was, that was the, the trial that we were going to set up. And this is one example of periodic fasting. And I, I started to wonder what more, uh, what more is out there in terms of intermittent fasting and periodic fasting, because there are so many different types of diets. Um, and when I started reading into this topic, I actually noticed that many papers on intermittent energy restriction focus on weight loss. Yeah, that's the main, the main topic. But for patients with type 2 diabetes, this is not the main problem. Of course, they want to lose weight, but the glucose metabolism... Uh, and the yeah, and the health effects for specifically uh, their diabetes are more important. So that's actually how we um, yeah how we came up with our search uh, yeah with our research question, and that we wanted to look into glucose metabolism and especially also into medication because uh, as a general practitioner, you uh, at least in the Netherlands you often hear from patients that they want to reduce their amount of medication use. And they prefer less pills instead of more pills. So um, that was also one of the things 
that I was interested in. So what happens with these diets and what happens with the medication of patients uh, in, uh, yeah, who use intermittent energy restriction or uh, uh, intermittent fasting? Well, it's good to know that patients like to take less medicine if they can get healthier. And that's a nice thing to hear about your patients who have that perspective. Can, can you tell me anything that you were surprised about when you did the study, uh, when you did the review? Were there any results that were maybe not necessarily new to you, but surprised you somehow? Yeah, I guess what was surprising is that, um, well, there were, there were, uh, there, we we had a few types of uh, diets that we found and that we expected to find, like the time restricted eating and the five two diets and alternate day fasting. Um, but when we tried to cluster the trials into these specific uh, types of diets, um, all the diets are still different. Even though you try to cluster them, uh, they are not the same, and it's, it's it remains hard to really compare them. So, uh, yeah, there are so many different types of diets, uh, but they all do uh, do something on glucose metabolism. So I guess, yeah, that was, a, that was something that was surprising to us, that even though you want to compare them, it, it remains hard. And um, what also was surprising for us was that uh, patient perception and quality of life are outcomes that are not that much looked into uh, in these type of trials. Well, I think those outcomes are very important to um, to to improve adherence and to make sure that people are able to continue using a diet. So, therefore, I think those outcomes should be yeah should be more prominent in the clinical trials. And something that was well not surpri well surprising, but also not surprising, is that many of the trials that were included did not uh, include patients with insulin or sulfonylurea derivatives. And uh, that makes it hard for, to, to give an advice to all the patients with type 2 diabetes because many people use those medications. And then, uh, yeah, safety remains a concern. So, um, yeah, it's important to assess the risk of hypoglycemia before following any of these diets. And it's not possible to, yeah, to uh, project these results on the typical patient with type 2 diabetes. Or, yeah, you really have to look into... Yeah, the personal, uh, yeah, how the person is um, and what medication one uses, if the diet is suitable or not. I, I think that's a very important point. You know, the idea that, you know, a diet that maybe uh, someone who's not, who does not have a chronic disease, that the negative impact on them that might not be as strong, but if you're taking medication, you have to worry about patient safety. And, you know, that's, a highly um, important area, which I did not think about until you just mentioned that, especially in this in this population. Um, so, um, and many yeah. people on type two diabetes do take insulin; it's just not metformin or some other medication. So, hyperglycemia um, is a big risk factor. I'm wondering the type of research you both are doing in doctoral programs. It sounds like are you doing um, research on collecting primary data? on um, diabetes or are you looking at other types of diseases uh, we are we are specifically looking at type 2 diabetes patients so that's yeah. our uh, in our randomized trial we included only type 2 diabetes patients can you tell me more about this randomized controlled trial that you're, you're uh, conducting yes of course yes this is um, uh, a trial called the fasting in diabetes treatment trial or short the fit trial 
Uh, and in this FIT trial, we, um, we are evaluating whether offering a fasting mimicking diet uh, as an addition to usual primary care in the Netherlands um, is an effective treatment option for type 2 diabetes patients. So for the duration of one year, uh, we give them uh, a prepackaged uh, meal program. And uh, this is for five consecutive days, once a month for one year. And then uh, we are looking uh, at many outcome measures, how this affects the type 2 diabetes patients. That sounds really interesting. Um, I think given what Elska just said, you're probably looking at lots of different outcomes, including lifestyle and behavior and, and quality of life in addition to metabolic outcomes. Um, so I think you, you have a head start on looking at some of these more important outcomes that often are considered, um, I don't wanna say soft, I'm gonna say soft, but I think these types of outcomes, these behavioral outcomes and, and emotional and feelings are, are what makes our lives um, important to us, how we live each day. So uh, I'm happy you're including this sort of comprehensive approach to, to this study. Uh yeah, I think those type of outcomes also really influence if someone is able to adhere to a diet or not. And that, that makes it very important for yeah, the long-term uh, effects. So now that you've been studying intermittent fasting, and how has it changed how you eat? Um, have you gone through your own personal experiments with intermittent fasting? And, um, or has it changed your ways of eating in different ways? I think it has made me more aware of uh, yeah what yeah what I eat in general, and to pay a little more attention. It's not that I'm strictly following a type of intermittent fasting diet. Uh, I did try the fasting mimicking diet for a few uh, periods, and um, yeah, it it makes you aware also of what you're asking your uh, yeah trial participants to do. So really a good personal experience. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think the most important thing is that I'm more aware of what I'm eating. I'm eating less, uh, less meat, more uh, vegetables. Uh, I think I have a more balanced diet than I had a few years ago. And Marjolaine, anything that you've um, modified in, in your diet or lifestyle based on the studies you've been doing? Yeah, I think I think I agree with Elske that I, I uh, myself also tried it for a few months and you just, um, you're really not aware that you can function with, uh, with a so much a reduction in your daily food intake. So you can, you can take a lot more than you think. I think that's the first lesson. And um, without uh, many consequences in your daily life. So it's uh, comfort, of course, that you lose a bit, but uh, in the end, after a five-day uh, period of uh, this fasting mimicking diet, you really feel less hungry, but you still have your energy. And you um, you notice that you are eating smaller portions so and that you are just satisfied with that. So you notice that in a short time, your body can really adapt to smaller or healthier portions of food. So therefore, I think uh, just as Elske mentioned, uh, I'm eating a bit less than before and uh, a bit healthier uh, without uh, losing much comfort. So that's uh, definitely an improvement. Yes, I, I think that is one of the outcomes with intermittent fasting is that um, 
people might, their hunger drive might change a little bit and they do end up eating a little bit less. They, they don't have to eat as much to feel that same fullness. It'd be interesting how leptin and some of these gut hormones you know, respond to intermittent fasting and therefore gives you that feeling of satiety a, a lot sooner. Um, especially with the new drugs coming out, you know, the, the GLP-1 agonists and things of that. So how is that all affecting us as far as our drive for, for eating um, more food? I, I find this really interesting. And uh, I just think you guys are doing some great research. I'm, I'm going to look for your results in a year or two when you, when you publish them. I, I think that um, the idea of fasting and carefully with diabetes, because it's not, you can't do continual fasting. Like you said, you worry about hyperlycemia. So I, I think it's really important that you're doing it in a, in a safe way and, and very, um, you know, methodal uh, a, a way that is more systematic, I guess, in where you're looking at what would be the outcomes. Um, I want to thank you for spending this time with me. Um, I find this really interesting and uh, hopefully it's not just the management of type 2 diabetes, but you know, possibly the prevention of type 2 diabetes too, um, with people who can do intermittent fasting. So th thank you again for being with me. Yeah, thank, thank you, you for Thank you for the opportunity. Dear listeners, in the next podcast, I have the pleasure of speaking with Jamon Kelly from the University of Queensland, who with his co-authors, conducted a systematic review on the cost-effectiveness of telehealth-delivered nutrition interventions. Clearly, this review is very timely given the past SARS pandemic and the start of having people working more remotely and becoming more comfortable with communicating through the internet. I also know that drilling down to what is the cost and effectiveness of various telehealth interventions will greatly support innovation and its expansion. Without going into details, their review of 12 randomized controlled trials focused on managing nutrition-related chronic diseases for adults and found that mobile health interventions were more cost-effective compared with usual care based on quality-adjusted life years and their incremental cost-effectiveness ratios. The impact of this paper should influence future payment systems for clinical nutrition. I'm sure you will enjoy listening to our conversation about why they took on this project. The Nutrition Reviews podcast was produced and edited by Eric Healy at the Western Region Public Health Training Center studio at the University of Arizona, Mel and Enid Zuckerman College of Public Health. Original music was created by Eli Ruiz. Funding for the podcast was provided by the International Life Sciences Institute. To get more updated information on nutrition, go to the journal's website at academic.oup.com slash nutrition reviews and subscribe to the podcast to be notified when the next episode is available. I'm Douglas Tarrant. Thank you for spending some time with us.